Welcome to Ready, Set, Retina. I'm your host, Dan Epstein. Joining me today is Dr. Carolyn Major, Associate Professor at the Oklahoma College of Optometry, where she's also the, the Residency Director. She's a fellow of the Optometric Retina Society and an expert in all things retina. She's also a wonderful person, great friend, and I'm really lucky to have her join me here today for today's discussion. So, Carolyn, thank you again for joining me. How are you doing today? Oh, excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's such a pleasure to be here and uh, consider you a great expert and friend as well. well. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that. So I've really been looking forward to this case that you brought us. You think you could walk us through it and then we'll touch on some of the important diagnostic and management points once you're finished? Yeah, absolutely. So this case is a 15-year-old female and, you know, she's been complaining of some gradual reduction in vision for some time. And if we should look back at her visual acuity history, we can see that her best corrected visual acuity has been slowly and gradually declining over the past six to seven years. So, you know, back in 2016, she starts out declining around 2025. But more recently, um, at the current examination, she's actually 2150 pinhole, no improvement. And her refractive error really isn't very significant. And they've kind of tossed around different diagnoses to try to explain why this reduction in vision was like accommodative BV issues, stress syndrome. She's actually had uh, vision therapy to try to alleviate some of these issues that they thought was causing the decline in acuity. And it wasn't until they ran a macular OCT and, and found some abnormalities that they referred the patient to me for further evaluation. So otherwise, her medical history, family history, entrance testing, everything unremarkable there to the case. And here are her color fundus photographs. And I think what's notable here is there's a macular foveal RPE modeling, almost this classic beaten bronze type of appearance that we typically would expect with something, say, Stargard syndrome. What else kind of clued us in that this may be Stargard syndrome is this uh, yellowish pisciform types of flecks, sometimes called fundus flavus maculatus, that commonly accompany Stargard syndrome as well. You know, and here looking at the color fundus photographs. This is a bilateral symmetric disease in a very young patient. So inherited retinal disease is already really high on our differential diagnosis list for what could be possibly, possibly causing her 2150 vision. You know, uh, fundus autofluorescence is of incredible value in any outer retinal disease, especially in inherited retinal diseases um, because we get to see the full pattern of outer retina RPE disruption. And so here we can see again a bilateral symmetric pattern in terms of the fundus autofluorescence abnormality. Centrally, there's hypo autofluorescence, suggestive of loss of the outer retina and RPE, surrounded by almost a halo of hyper autofluorescence, indicative of degenerating or like sick retina and RPE. And here is her OCT, um, which is really startling that we have this severe and symmetric foveal central uh, outer retinal atrophy. And the atrophy is almost so bad that the almost entire retina is atrophied there in the center of both eyes. And associated with that outer retina RPE atrophy, we have some increased choroidal signal underlying that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, high on our list of differentials was an inherited retinal disease. 
Um, and so referred her to a retina specialist who ended up doing some genetic testing, you know, with in our mind thinking, well, this is probably Starkart syndrome. And lo and behold, it turned out that she uh, was homozygous for retinal dehydrogenase 12, or RDH12 mutation, which was consistent with autosomal recessive Leber congenital amaurosis. Um, unfortunately, there's no genetic therapies for this particular inherited condition at this time, unless the genetic mutation is RPE65, in which case there's Luxterna available. Um, but for her mutation, there's nothing. Um, did refer her to low vision and rehabilitative services. So I think that's a, this is a wonderful case. It really kind of brings up a lot of things. I think, number one, the diagnostic approach in retinal disease. And I think you really hit the kind of the perfect steps here where, you know, you do a great fundoscopic exam. You want to make sure you get an OCT. I love fundus autofluorescence as well in these patients. And really looking for that symmetry. I think on fundus autofluorescence, this is probably the one of the best uses. I know for uh, age-related macro degeneration, fundus autofluorescence, has been a, a kind of a huge boon in that diagnostic uh, approach. But inherited retinal disease is where I find that's most useful because it's almost like you get these hidden clues, like you were saying, that central hypo autofluorescence and then that ring of hyper uh, autofluorescence. And, and another great point here is, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, there's a lot of variability in these inherited retinal degeneration. So even though this patient has Labor's congenital uh, sorry, has LCA, uh, that this patient is not eligible for any treatment with Luxterna because the genetics are different. It's almost startling how close to Stargons this looks. Um, and do you find that in these inherited relative generations, sometimes the phenotypic presentation doesn't match up with the genotype that you're seeing? I mean, it can be highly variable. You know, this case is surprising is that, you know, she didn't really have much vision loss until she was older in life. Whereas, you know, most phenotypes of Leber's congenital amaurosis, the vision loss is really severe within the first year of life. So, you know, it fit the clinical pattern more so of Stargardt's actually than Leber's congenital amaurosis. But I think it's highly variable and it depends, you know, the expression probably depends on the environmental factors as well, not just the genetics. Yeah, I agree 100%. Now, is this kind of your standard diagnostic approach to a patient like this with a suspected inherited retinal degeneration? Sure. Um, so I think imaging is really important. So as you mentioned, fundus autofluorescence, OCT is absolutely invaluable. Uh, we're very fortunate here at the school to actually uh, have access, excuse me, to electrodiagnostic testing, which we utilized pretty heavily and still do. Um, but I think genetic testing has kind of replaced some of that uh, to a degree where with genetic testing, if, if it comes back positive and it matches the clinical scenario, it's kind of like there, we're done um, versus, you know, you may get a genetic test result that's like some mutation of unknown significance or, you know, they're not certain if that's what's causing the clinical presentation, then electrodiagnostic testing can still be very valuable in those scenarios. Yeah, I agree. I do genetic testing on these suspected inherited retinal degenerations when the clinical picture kind of makes sense. And electrodiagnostics, I still get that testing, but sometimes I always feel bad putting a patient through that. You know, in the clinic where I'm uh, seeing patients, we don't have electrodiagnostics. We also have to refer them out. And it's kind of like a half-day experience for patients and not an experience that they always love. So if we have the genetics and there's really no treatment that I can offer them or any specific management protocol, 
sometimes I'll kind of bring give it up to the patient that if they want to kind of get a very specific type of testing to figure out exactly what's going on functionally, I'll I'll refer them out for testing. But if they prefer uh, just to kind of monitor clinically, I'm also happy to do that as well. And that's, of course, considering that we have uh, positive results on genetic testing that tells us what the diagnosis is. Mm -hmm. Carolyn, any last thoughts about this case? Yeah, I mean, I think genetic testing is so valuable that, you know, you could be fooled into thinking the clinical presentation is one disease when it's actually another. And it gives you so much information with regards to counseling the patient. You know, what is the chance that their children could inherit this disease? What is the prognosis visually for this disease? So there's a lot of power in that. And with it now being open access, no cost to, you know, patients and providers, it's really like a no brainer, you know, start doing genetic testing and getting this, you know, valuable information for our patients. Great point. Nowadays, genetic testing, because it, you can get it through these sponsored programs, it's almost like ordering an OCT for me. It, it's just part of my standard protocol in, in these patients. So getting the genetic testing, making sure the clinical picture makes sense with what you're thinking in terms of diagnosis, OCT, bonus autofluorescence, if you have it. And then you can always refer out to electrodiagnostics if you don't have that available. You know, Not all of us are as lucky uh, as you are, unfortunately. Yeah, you know. But Mm -hmm. uh, what else, Dan, I think is really valuable at the genetic testing. Sorry to, to cut you off there. Um, no worries. You know, knowing what the genetic mutation is too, you have the potential to enroll in clinical trials. And that's very invaluable for a patient who's motivated to do that. Very true. You know, we're kind of at a pivotal point in uh, kind of retinal disease genetics and management where there are some things on the horizon. Some things are already available in terms of treatment, but there are things on the horizon that if you have the exact genetic mutation, um, these patients get enrolled in studies and hopefully, you know, either help other patients, help themselves, help their uh, offspring possibly. But uh, mm -hmm. this is this is one of those cases where, you know, it, it's sad to give this type of diagnosis to such a young patient, but hopefully this information can always help uh, future patients that we can see. Absolutely. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for this great case. Uh, for our viewers, thank you so much for your time and watch for another episode of Ready, Set, Retina. Thank you.